On this episode of DL Extend, we discuss Valve and its new potential Linux-powered gaming handheld. This episode of DL Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitward. Welcome to episode 60 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take the conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Groups, Discord Servers, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. And welcome to this fine episode, and I'm here with my fine fun partners in crime i guess something like that <laughs> i would agree yes uh-huh. well not the crime part i don't want to get like the crime thing associated with me too hard just in case you know <laughs> <laughs> so with me obviously are nate and wendy how are you guys doing good good fantastic no complaints life is good you sure positive everything is as i would hope i think hunky dory he thinks peachy keen splendiferous awesome with everything being peachy keen then nate wendy what have you been up to <laughs> Ooh, that was quite the roll around transition there. We've actually been having some really fun family game nights lately. So quite a while ago when we did the last deal in Game Fest, I played Among Us for the very first time and had an absolute blast with the community and the crew during that game. So now for the last couple weeks, I guess, we've been doing these occasional family game nights. We did one actually for the last two nights playing rounds of Among Us. One of the things that I absolutely love about this game is that it is multiple platforms. So it doesn't matter if one person's playing from PC, somebody else is playing from a tablet, all kinds of different devices, you can still join. My younger three have been playing on their tablets. My daughter has it installed on her Linux system. I have it installed on mine. And then my husband's been using my larger Samsung tablet. And we've all been playing together. And it's actually been an absolute blast. I didn't realize how sneaky my husband was until we were playing this game. And he keeps winning as the imposter. My daughter's picked up on some of his tricks, and last night she had decided that she was going to sabotage comms, and then she was waiting for whoever was going to go fix it. And so when I showed up, I thought we were walking up together to go fix it. Mm, Nope. She killed me. That's awesome. And I'm not surprised that Magneto is good at tricking everybody. I'm just saying. He's very good at it. It's been an absolute blast to play as a family. And it's one that I recommend for a family game night as long as you have enough devices and kind of spread out throughout the house. You can't really look at the screens because that's cheating. But we have enough space that we kind of spread out but still hear everybody so we can talk through things. It's been fun. Among Us is a blast for family game night. Yeah, I have to turn my volume down because my kids will pick up on the fact that I am not the imposter when I can't get the stinking card to read in the card reader on the spaceship <laughs> one. It's like, eh, 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 over and over again. Like, well, yes. that's not the imposter. <laughs> Some people turn their volume completely off. I'll put in a headphone. So it just kind of depends. Yeah. If you hear some of that music or the sound effects, that can definitely help you know what's going on. Headphones. Good idea. Nate getting game tips from Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of weird. Yes. Yes, it is. The best advice I can ever give is you have to blow off the cartridge before you put it in. That's the best advice I can give for gaming. 
you know. I remember those days vaguely. Among Us is definitely a fun time. I have enjoyed it. We played it with friends and stuff and trying to slyly be the imposter without them finding you is always, honestly, I think the best part of the entire game. It's like, ha, fooled you. Absolutely. Yes, it absolutely is. And I don't know that I'd want to play with a group of random people. It's one of those games that I really enjoy playing with people that I know, but not one that I'd want to just join a random group of people. I think that's part of the fun is you know the personalities of the people that you're playing with and just kind of picking up on some of the things that they say and trying to figure it out. I think a little bit of both is actually kind of fun. So when I play with my kids, I'll leave the game open and randos will hop in. And that's kind of fun because then you have a revolving door of other people that have no idea that you're a family. Kind of throw a wrench in there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The little random element is not bad. I would disagree because then that means you have to play with people you don't know and hence you probably don't like. Then again, that's probably why I play single player games most of the time. Uh, Yes, probably why. (laughs) Well, as long as I don't say anything naughty. You are not a people person just like Magneto. Unless it's Ryan because obviously then I'm going to play games with him so I can make fun of him. The network switched over to Matrix as our main communication between creators. You've been diving into some of the different ways that you can access Matrix. What have you been finding, Nate? Well, I know I've been probably annoying some of you a little bit because I keep sending, hey, this is from this chat client. Hey, this is from this chat client. No, no bugging. (laughs) It's interesting. Oh, well, I should have tried a little harder to annoy then. Element is one that pretty much everybody knows. And Element works, I would say, well. It does seem to have its shortcomings, but I have multiple Matrix accounts. So here's the problem. I had a Matrix account, then uh, the network went to having a network Matrix. And since I want to use the destination Linux.network account... I have to kind of balance two matrix accounts. And Michael told me there's a way I can somehow do something with them, which we haven't really worked out yet. So I thought I'd play with other matrix clients. So I just keep two of them open for the time being. I'm in a lot of groups with the other ones. So I suppose I could take the time and transition it all over. But well, you know. So the problem with Element is I don't like how it organizes the chats. It sets all the individual accounts, like direct messages in one area, and then the group chats another. So if something pops up in one of the chat groups, it doesn't bring that to the top. And maybe there's a way to change that. I don't know. The one that I think has a better user experience, which is a fork of Element, is called Shieldy Chat or Shield iChat. Chill the chat. It's like Element. It's a little more modern feeling. It has chat bubbles. It's more what you're accustomed to as far as usage. I feel like Element is a little bit more like IRC. Shield the chat has a better look to it. My problem with Element and Shield the chat is that you can't have two accounts in one. And so I was told that Nico Chat, N H E K O, took me a little bit to find, is a client that allows for multiple chats and encryption. I tried that one, but I couldn't seem to figure out a way to actually show both accounts at once. Also, it had issues with like not showing the emojis. So I would get someone to send me like some emojis and they would show up as just like square and then some other random symbols. The user experience of that one didn't quite cut it for me. It's a really nice interface though. I like how it's laid out. There's just some little problems with it. I'm sure they're going to work it out over time. Now, NeoChat is one that does handle multiple accounts, I think mostly cleanly, but doesn't do encryption and that's cute based. But I couldn't actually figure out how to switch between the accounts like as far as to see and it wasn't interleaving them. So that one didn't really work quite well either. And I've noticed there's a couple others like Spectral and Spectral IDF. I haven't tried those yet. Suffice to say, I'm still on the search for a matrix client that is able to do multiple accounts with encryption. I'm not there yet. So I'm just running multiple matrix clients at the time. So I'm running one element and one shieldy chat on my computers. They seem to be a little bit heavier than Telegram or whatever. At least I think they are. My search hasn't really been fruitful yet. It has been fun to try other bits of software. If I had the time, I would actually do a little more writing about it. 
but I just don't have the time right now due to uh, life things happening. If you do want to try a good client, I highly recommend, I think, Shieldy Chat instead of Element. I think Shieldy Chat is a better client. It's an improvement. It's a fork over Element. And so far, that is by far my favorite at this time. Speaking of clients, have you tried Mirage? It's a desktop app for Matrix. No. Is there a flat pack for that? I pulled it in from the AUR, so I honestly don't know. Oh, the AUR. <laughs> okay. All right. Do note they are very specific that it is currently an alpha. They are very upfront about the code quality curve. I gotcha. And does it handle multiple accounts? I believe working on it or had worked on it. Uh, yes, built in public servers, multiple accounts from one client, import, export, and then encryption keys, such as for accounts within the same client, automatically verify others. Set your account partners online, unavailable custom status messages, create rooms, join rooms, send edit room names, guest access and enable and encryption, send and receive encrypted messages, send and receive emoji messages, receive notice box. So they've done a lot. Interesting. Well, I think that's one to definitely check out. Now they actually do have a flatback. Do they? Now that you mentioned that, I need to check out Mirage. It says it's in the Flatpak repo, but it didn't show up in my, when I did a search for it. So might have to check Flathub or something maybe. Yeah, I have the Flathub repo. Well, sometimes Flathub is a little weird. I see what you're saying. I'm going to definitely give this a whirl. Is this what you're using right now? I've used it. It's not what I'm using now. Generically, I pretty much use Element, but Mirage was one of the first ones I actually tested. They've improved a lot of stuff since the last time I used it from the looks of it, though. I will add that to my list of clients to try, see how that goes. I'll report to you next time. So Matt just told me that you were running some applications out of the Flathub and something about Arch may have given you a little bit of some headwind. Come on, Nate. Get it all out while you can. <laughs> So what you're saying is you run Arch and it ran itself into the ground. <laughs> um, actually. And this time I can actually mean, um, actually, I can't blame Arch. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, you can blame whatever you want, I guess. <laughs> the problem was I use Salient OS on my production machine, which is Arch based. I use the snap of OBS because it has a bunch of plugins that are not in the repo version of OBS. So the problem was basically the snap version would not detect NVENC whatsoever. You could do all the previews and all the other stuff, but as soon as you hit for local record, nothing. <laughs> it pops up with a warning that says, update your drivers or check your drivers, basically. And I had already updated my system. So I was like, okay, does this mean that this, I've had this issue before where I've had to deal with the Linux headers, making sure they match the NVIDIA headers and all the other nonsense? That wasn't the issue. So I literally had to uninstall all of the Snap stuff for it, restart the system so that the system CTL stuff can get all reconfigured and whatnot. I re-downloaded it. It just worked. I can't really blame it on Arch. I can blame it on Snap, apparently, but I can't blame it on Arch. <laughs> Could it be your crazy configuration caused the Snap to um, have fun? What I'm assuming what it was, I ran an update before I had done any OBS work. Unlike Ryan, I am not adventurous and I'm not going to update while I'm trying to actually do work. And there was some Snap updates, updates for Mesa, Vulkan, NVIDIA. There was the Linux kernel updates and all that kind of stuff. So something might have gotten discombobulated related as you would like to say Nate mm -hmm. in that update might have taken away the access to the Nvidia NVENC support in the snap at least in the version I currently had until I ripped it out and re-put it back in that's the only thing I can think of again I'm not saying it's an arch issue I'm not saying it's a snap issue it was just a issue I didn't really spend a whole lot of time looking at it but it was you know an hour worth of like why does this not work anymore <laughs>
While universal packages are a great thing, they do have potential problems. Oh, sure. There is always potential breakage with stuff that updates frequently. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I just don't know which one it was that caused the breakage. Was it because it's arched or because it was the snap, which is updated fairly frequently too? Again, people are going to want to know why I use the snap. I use NDI and various other things that the Snap offers that the repo version doesn't. That's all. That makes sense. I totally get it. I use the Snap too. Not recently, but in years past. I want to say 2019 or 2018 was the last time I had Snap issues. Yeah, I think it was 2018. I filed a bug report and I worked on it with people kind of between the OpenSUSE, Bugzilla, and also the Snapcraft IO forums. They had to fix basically something in the OpenSUSE part of it. It's a kernel module of some kind, I think. No, maybe not a kernel module, but it's not directly supported by OpenSUSE. There's some other ancillary bits of fun to deal with with snaps on OpenSUSE because it's not directly supported, but it does work very well and I use them all the time. So when it's broken on my end, it could have been like an app armor change mm-hmm. or something changed in the snap architecture itself that required new permissions or reestablishing of permissions or something like that. These things happen. They're getting smoothed out over time, but yeah, I mean, I'd like to rub your nose in it like a misbehaving animal. Like an I told you so because, you know, Mr. OpenSUSE person here. But, I mean, computers are so complex and all these moving parts. And then, you know, when something doesn't quite line up. I love how he backtracks on it when it's convenient. I'm not a nose rubber, but I mean, I just wouldn't run Arch. Mm-hmm. I'm not a nose rubber. Hmm. But. But. I wouldn't run Arch. But some of us do. And then you have Wendy who runs Arch based. Yes. With a delay. With a little <laughs> delay. Sure. Have I had things pop up now and again from the frequency of updates? Yeah, occasionally, but it's never been that big of a deal. So I'm willing to deal with an occasional, hey, maybe there's an issue like the one I've already talked about before, which is the most recent one. And that was in November where there was something updated something got moved around and so you couldn't print anymore it really wasn't that big of a deal to fix it it's not like the system can totally die it or anything like that Mm, that was my thing it's not like the system I wasn't able to use the system it was just that one particular app which I use for production stuff all the time (laughs) was like ah that's kind of annoying On the same note, it didn't take long to fix it. It was just one of those, okay, it's not this, this, or this. So you knock out the few things that you know it's not, and then go from there. Once I reinstalled the snap, worked perfectly fine. I was back to using everything and whatnot. So that's all I cared about, honestly. Well, definitely getting it back up and running. As long as you get it fixed within a reasonable amount of time, there you go. It's fine. Yeah. It's not like you don't have problems in other platforms. Any of the proprietary platforms are going to have issues too with complex software. Oh, yeah. All the time. I use macOS and Windows, obviously. I've run into plenty of issues with stuff not working. Windows, it's like, oh, hey, look, you're missing this one little esoteric DLL file. Go find it. (laughs) Go fish. Yeah. It's not uncommon to go try to fix stuff. Try setting up OBS on macOS to capture desktop audio. (laughs) Good luck. Just ask Ryan about that. It's good times. Yeah, it's good times. It's great when you need a third-party app that you have to pay $80 for to actually do it. (laughs) DigitalOcean is offering their app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for many programming languages such as Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, plus their support for static sites, Docker, and container images. What are the other cool things that go with this DigitalOcean app platform service? 
high stability, zero infrastructure management, run code with little to no customizations. App Platform uses cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code creates containers, and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. As a DLN Extend listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So speaking of getting things up and going, apparently certain companies want to uh, take Linux gaming on the go, specifically Valve. Valve is looking potentially from what the rumors and speculation are is to put out a Linux powered handheld a la the Nintendo Switch from what most reports are saying at the moment. For those that don't know, the form factor is actually fairly prevalent right now in the almost UMPC market for anyone around during that time. They're handheld computers that are the size of a Switch, but they're running x86. Some that come to mind is the uh, Aya Neo, which is AMD powered. I believe it runs on a 4700. I might be wrong on that, but either way. And the other one, which most people would know, is a GPD, which makes things like the uh, Win 3 and Win Max 3 and a lot of other <laughs> ones that they've iterated on over the course of time, which is uh, Intel powered, and I believe it uses the XE Iris graphics from not mistaken don't know a whole lot about this as far as like valve's play on a handheld supposedly it's going to be called steam pal i don't know what to think about this i'm hoping it's better than steam machines I don't know. What do you guys think? I brought this subject up almost exactly on the last episode of Hardware Addicts. So if you've listened to that one, we talked about some of the other handheld devices, but not ones that were specifically for Linux. And in the conversation, because this Steam Pal is now rumored, my question was, okay, Steam has taken some major leaps at different times, put out some hardware, and it hasn't done very well. Right now, I'm really curious as to what the specs are going to be on this. And I think some of that's going to make a difference into how well it does is how it compares price-wise to other stuff that's already on the market. Because there are options out there that you can put Linux on. The advantage of this one is hopefully the drivers will be rock solid. And that's going to make the biggest difference in gaming. And we know that Valve themselves have made leaps and bounds in just being able to play all kinds of Windows games on Linux. But there are still some issues. There's a couple games that my husband plays right now that are Windows-only games. And some of them used to play really good. And now we've had some updates and they don't play so well anymore. There definitely needs to be some tweaking on that side from Valve. And then hardware, it's got to be able to support these games in a rock solid fashion and at a price point that is going to make people go, yes. And if not, I'm afraid this is another one of those hardware projects where it's a great idea, but it just didn't get put out properly. Yeah, I'm almost curious to see if what they're going to do is if they're going to end up doing something like, for those that don't remember, NVIDIA had a NVIDIA Shield portable that came out in like 2013. 
full Android powered touchscreen enabled handheld console, essentially that ran Android. Two freight frosting speakers. It had mini HDMI. Oh yes, I had one. I loved it. As of tablets, it's probably one of my favorite tablets I've ever owned. Awesome little device. This one was, I think it was the precursor to that particular tablet you're talking about. It was a Tegra 4 processor and it was literally a controller that had a fold up and down screen on the controller. They made it so you could stream your games to the handheld. I'm wondering if Valve's going to be doing something like that because they've put a lot of effort into like the library streaming stuff because I know where I record and where I live are in two different spots. Sometimes I'll leave my workstation running, but I'll be streaming a game from my recording studio to my house. Totally separate networks. And how well does that actually work? Latency can be an issue, but that's where the catch-22 is because latency for any streaming service is an issue despite how much i love the concept of streaming and like the bringing about of open availability and a lower you know point of entry and all that stuff for making more people gamers cool latency and like the technological limitations are still present that were present back when things like on live were around the only thing that I like about the Valve and like the GeForce Now approach is it's stuff that you own. You don't have to rebuy all the stuff. That to me is fairly intriguing because I don't want to have to go and rebuy 800 to 1,000 games. Give me a break. Yeah, absolutely. You have a massive game library and you want to be able to use what you have. And I would be in the exact same boat. So one of the things that I did after we recorded Hardware Addicts, I don't own a Switch. We never have. And then I knew that we were going to be talking about some of these similar devices. Again, I wanted to go see what it would cost if I wanted to buy a Nintendo Switch today. And right now I can pick one up. I think it was for right around two or three hundred dollars. I can't remember for sure. That's about right. Yeah. So definitely a lot cheaper than many of these hardware devices that are out there now. The Switch has nowhere near the hardware that some of the other options have, right? They've got a mobile i7. There's one out there that's actually running an AMD, the Neo. Yeah, and those are like $1,000 plus systems. Right. They are way more expensive. Could you probably put Linux on some of them? Yes, I know the GPDs, you could choose what your operating system was, whether it comes with Windows or Linux. I would love to get my hands on one of these devices and actually see what it looks like. Can I get into the UEFI or not? And what does that lockdown look like? I'm really curious about that. So some of those may have an option to throw Linux on. So you've got one and it's got the keypads to it. Do you have the drivers to make it work? Which is if this is coming from Valve and is meant to run Linux, it should also come with those drivers in order to make those keypads or however it's working work. So the Switch is two to $300 brand new, but then you have to buy games for it. This Valve device can be more than that and you're still better off because you're not rebuying your entire game library. I think that's probably my sticking point right there with any of these devices. You, know, you brought up the Neo, the A and Neo, as well as Steam Palette. Steam Palette, I feel good about, even though I haven't seen any real hard specs on it, is because it is a Linux-based PC. My guess is they're probably going to work upstream, my guesses. And Valve's been good at that with Wine and stuff the last few years, mm -hmm. so you'd expect to. They've been great. Their work has been propagated throughout Linux and the open source community. Even if they are a closed source company, that's another argument. I have more confidence in that device. Now, like the A and Neo, that one is a very cool looking device for sure. 
But my concern there is, as you said previously, the price of this one isn't so extraordinary and it does run an AMD and that does interest me in and of itself. Are the components going to be pretty standardized? Are there custom drivers required? Would I be able to get the custom drivers? I mean, without beating around the bush here too much, you know what I'm going to install on a PC. It really shouldn't be a question for anybody who knows me. Does it start with an O and end with an E? It starts with an open and ends with a SUSE. I don't know how you guessed that, <laughs> but correct. That's what I'd want to have run on there. So how much work would it entail for me to get it to work the way I wanted it to work? Now, I would say Steam runs great in Tumbleweed. I've never had any issues running it. It's been great. There's people that take a lot of time and effort to make sure it runs great. I would be predisposed to think that the Steam device is probably going to run pretty great with OpenSUSE if the rest of my experience has been great. So I feel good about that. The other issue is I'm kind of rough on portable things. And so I'd be concerned that it wouldn't be able to survive me is my concern. How sturdy is something like the A&Neo? That's a very cool looking device. Is it pretty tolerant to environmental hazards, I guess, or typical night hazards? They, we know you're the environmental hazard to devices. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm not proud of that, but it is the truth. Nate and Magneto <laughs> both. I'm like an animal in pants. It's kind of bad. If you put that aside, I would love to have a little portable device like this, not just for gaming, but for a lot of like actual practical functions as well, or just media consumption. Like a tablet's great. We were talking about playing Among Us just a little bit ago. How much more fun would it be to play Among Us with nice controls? I prefer using the keyboard and mouse. But something like this would be great for playing Among Us or whatever, especially if it's touchscreen as well, and you can have a little bit of both. My biggest concern about these are how well supported are they going to be? I'd be slow to adopt it. A&E will come out. Who knows when it's going to come out? Let's say by the end of the year, I'd probably be ready to buy it sometime around 2030, I'm guessing. Well, by that time, you'd have all <laughs> kinds of information and reviews on it. Right. We're getting on eBay used, slightly broken. <laughs> I do tend to agree that talk around of like of a portable Steam console or you know whatever it may be portable machine does intrigue me. What they would use and are looking to do with it is it just going to be a portable Steam Link or is it going to be like an actual machine? I mean, a portable Steam Link wouldn't be so bad, really, if you think about it. That actually would be kind of a neat device, also. I wouldn't want to spend a thousand dollars for it. Maybe a hundred bucks. If you look at the Steam Link, it was what thirty-five dollars. Like it wasn't exactly uber expensive. It all depends on what they're looking to do. If it's Linux power, like it's being touted, some of the moves that Valve has been making with people like Nvidia would make a lot more sense because Nvidia recently said that they're bringing DLSS support to Proton for Linux gaming specifically. I don't remember the exact abbreviation, but it's super sampling. So it's better anti-aliasing, essentially. Really cool tech, especially at the 2.0 stuff. I use it on my RTX machine that I have. Makes stuff nice and fluid. All the stuff without the performance hit that you would normally get when you enable like temporal anti-aliasing and that kind of stuff where it's like, oh, hey, look, my machine can no longer run this game, even though I'm like six times above the, the system requirements kind of deal. If they are bringing that to a portable type machine, for me, the perfect machine would be like an x86 machine with a NVIDIA type GPU. And I don't mean an Intel x86. Obviously, I've got a fanboy here. So <laughs> that would be the perfect combination. Whether or not you can get something that small is where the question becomes. Really, the only other way to go about it would be recently with AMD announcing RDNA 2 chips for Samsung phones and stuff. That means AMD GPUs on mobile, like mobile, mobile. So it all depends on how they are looking at the hardware perspective. Yeah, that's probably definitely the future of those kind of devices, because that is a downfall of any of them that are out there, regardless of the ones you're looking at. 
none of them have a dedicated GPU. You're all dealing with some sort of integrated graphics, mm -hmm. which in watching reviews on some of these devices, they're saying, can you play the game? Yeah, can you get through it? Sure, but your FPS and some of the glitchy stuff is still there. And it, mainly it's because you're running even more so if it's a triple A game on much lighter hardware than you would be on your main PC. Yeah, best example I can give is play The Witcher 3, full graphics settings, max everything on PC, then go play the Switch port. Night and day difference. It's cool that you can play it on the Switch. A lot of content. Doesn't look horrible, but if you're coming from a PC, Windows, Linux, Mac, whatever, and then you go and play the Switch version, you're like... Ugh, looks a little rough, not gonna lie. But here's the part that will make Nate happy. I haven't seen one of these devices where running emulated games doesn't look awesome. So there you go, Nate. You can play your emulated games and it'll be perfect. That's right. All the anti-aliasing on 320 by 200 graphics, I'm sure it looked brilliant. Yes, absolutely. Here's a tie-in to another show I recently listened to. Wendy, I don't know if you heard of this podcast. Really great podcast. It's called Hardware Addicts. Uh, maybe. Episode 32. The hosts there were talking about two nanometer technology for these chips. Let's look at these devices now. These are basically early Switch-like device, x86-based PC devices, like devices for Steam-like games. Fast forward maybe a year or two, and if these are successful and they iterate on this, the two nanometer technology is going to start to work its way into this platform. I think that's a huge game changer, and that also seems to whet my appetite a little bit more. If you think about the specifications that they were talking about on Hardware Addicts, how much less power is going to be consumed, how much longer gameplay, you know, how many more of those graphic cores can they cram into the, the AMD's APU? There's a lot of things that I think are coming down this is just the first push, you could say, for these devices. Yeah, absolutely. That would give you the power that you need to play some of these AAA games with the ability to have dedicated graphics all in this tiny package that doesn't need as much power. And cooling is a very big issue. You've got to keep those components cool, mm -hmm. not only for comfortable playing, but also for the longevity of the hardware itself. Two nanometer is probably what's going to make these devices real, everyday, feasible gaming options. But high-end gaming options. Yes, high-end gaming options. Ragging on the Switch a little bit, I get that, but Nintendo's never been one for the best graphics. They've always been really keyed in on the fun playability. Gameplay. The replayability. Yeah, gameplay. They're very big on that. That's where Nintendo seems to shine. And that's why I like Nintendo. They have their niche and they've done a great job filling that market spot. Absolutely. But for the everyday mobile gameplay, I think you're right though. Two nanometer, while there, we may have some stuff that's dropping now, GPD's been around for a long time when it comes to these small form factor, full-blown OS systems. When we're going to have the real power, we're going to have to wait a few years in order for two nanometer to be an everyday thing. I think also largely depend on what the screen resolution is also. Full HD or are they 720p? Yeah, that'll make a difference too. You don't really need all that GPU power on a 720p display that's fitting between your hands. Honestly, if I got this, I'd be playing Among Us. I'd probably be playing a lot of retro games, Candle, things like that. Yes. A lot more than I'd be doing any kind of shooter because like Zenotic, I'm more of a keyboard mouse player. I don't know how you would even do that with a console. And I think also on one of the Hardware Addicts episodes I was listening to, you guys did talk about how PC gamers tend to overpower the console gamers as far as the user interface. So maybe the keyboard and mouse is still a better interface. And then I go back to then why have a handheld console if you can't get the same gaming experience? Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually kind of one of the things that I liked about the Neo is of all of the devices I've seen, it has the most amazing dock. This dock has Ethernet 
and a whole bunch of additional ports. Plus, on the device itself, it already has three USB-C. When Valve is coming up with this concept design, and I'm pretty sure they already have it planned, it's probably going to be there or not, but I would love to have all of these different port options. That way, if you want to plug something else into it to expand its use case. One of the things that I like about the Switch, even though it's not as powerful as like a traditional console, you know, PS4 or PS3 input console here or high-end PC, the fact that you can... Sega Genesis? <laughs> Blast processing <laughs> power. That's right. The thing that I like about it, though, is it gives you options. It gives you the option of how to play. Those kind of options, I think, are very important to a lot of people now. They want to be entertained or use the stuff that they quote-unquote own, because you can look at licensing on however you want when it comes to games. They have access to that when they want it. I think Valve is probably going to be playing off that more than anything else and that collection that they know that 90 percent of their users have any of us that are really big gamers have a backlog of shame <laughs> that is ungodly bad only the serious gamers have a backlog of shame for those that want to know what my completion rate for games on steam is 25 percent. that's out of 830 something games wow. that's my completion rate games that i have started and finished and some of the games that i have like i got through to the end of the game but there's like other things i haven't found in the game so like i'm not 100 percent. there's different levels of complete oh okay start to finish a game if it because most of mine are obviously story based start to finish i have a 25 percent completion rate well that's actually better than my completion rate on the games that i have i only just recently got through this commodore 64 game called ford apocalypse i don't have a good completion rate either i'm probably like one percent <laughs> Maybe less. Right now, of course, it's all rumor and speculation about what the Steam Pal will be. Hopefully it's Linux powered. Some of the work that they've done with NVIDIA is promising to mean that it's not just going to be a potential streaming machine. It might be a legit, like, we've worked on a lot on Proton to make it work kind of deal. So I'm really looking forward to that and seeing what the final revealed product may be for it. We won't know really anything more until that time. Valve working on Valve time is like Michael working on Michael time. So you're saying it might be a little bit late, but it's going to be awesome. I agree. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security. All to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. 
So, Nate, speaking of timely things, how goes all the house stuff that you've been working on lately? Getting closer to getting done with everything. I finished installing windows, seven of them, lowercase w. Everything's trimmed out. One thing I like about, I guess it's called painter's cock or something like that. It covers up a multitude of carpentry sins. If you're good in art class and sculpting, you're great at fixing pretty much anything. So, Nate, I just have one question to ask. Sure. Did you put any windows in your Vista? I live in a fancy house like that. I couldn't resist the pun. Yeah, I know, right? Man, I thought Michael was with us for a minute. It was just as old Manny. The home improvements are going well. It's an old garage. It's probably about anywhere between 60 and 100 years old, somewhere in there. I don't know. It's got a new roof on it now, and I have to paint it because in order for it to pass a certain kind of inspection, I have to make sure there's not a single bit of chipped paint anywhere on anything. So I am going to scrape and paint that yet. And then once that's done, I get some little bit of like spackling and touching up to do in some rooms, you know, because kids. Outside of that, we're pretty much all set. Hopefully by the beginning to middle of July, I will be done with this tumultuous, nothing is stable bit of my life. Hopefully for Forever. I will say that I do like my cordless nailers. My new finish nailer has been fantastic. It's made just doing the trim so much easier, not having to have a compressor with the compressor cables and the noise. Slap on a battery, push the nose of it into the piece, pull the trigger, and it's done. Your tools are probably the newest devices you have. They are. I like a good new tool. To me, it's fun. I really enjoy it. Wendy, I understand that you've been doing a little gaming, maybe a slightly questionable title, something called Size Matters. Yes, I have been. So I brought this game up last week, and I actually got a chance to play it. I've only been playing it on the easy, easy, easy mode. So that means I have a very long time to get things figured out. One of the things that you can do inside this game is there's all these different boxes and stuff laying around. So if you're on one of the harder versions where you're shrinking faster, you can move different items around so you'll have bridges already ready for you as you're making the different concoctions. For me, who is not a very good gamer in general, this is still definitely one of those puzzle games. And the hardest part, the reason why I think everybody should at least play one round on the beginner is you have like three different places, three or four different places in which these different instructions are written and you have to find them around the room and get the right stuff mixed together and made. The first time I played after the tutorial, I had messed up big time and didn't realize that there was another thing that I needed and had to undo it. And all of these things as you're creating, they take time. So you're still shrinking as stuff is being made. So part of the strategy of the game is seeing what needs to be done in what order and kind of pre-setting some of the stuff out. And I didn't have that very good the first time around. And I just restarted it because I'd reached the point that I was too short and didn't have any boxes that I could move. So I was going to shrink until nil anyway. The second time around when I was playing, I made sure I got everything gathered on one counter and kind of figured out the steps I needed and put stuff where it needed to go and then went ahead with making. And that was better. I'm going to attempt maybe one of the faster shrinks later. We'll see. I haven't had a whole lot of time to play play. I probably won't get really a whole lot of time here in the next probably three weeks. But after some more practice, I'd like to take more challenging. It's one of those that no matter what your level is, you should be able to enjoy this game. Well, visually, it looks very interesting. And the concept is kind of funny. You start shrinking at a different rate. You can actually set the different difficulties when I can grok from some of the images. Yeah. And also you can customize in your play style. It's interesting. Yeah, there's a whole lot of different customizations to this game. So you can make it just as hard or just as easy as you want it based on your skill level. How much of a challenge do you want? You can set that in this game. Yeah, it's very cool. Definitely like the looks of this. Uh, I'll definitely have to give this a try. You said this was part of Humble Bundle last week, Wendy? Yep. 
I got this one in my Humble Bundle. So if you are currently getting the Humble Bundle membership with a group of games each month, this one was in there for May. Probably one of the best games I've found since becoming the Humble Bundle Choice member. Nice. I'll have to give it a look then. Well, we just wrapped up one really fun game. Tell us about the game you've got for us this week, Matt. This particular game is called God Eater 3. This is a game series that started out on the PSP. Then it was brought to the Vita. And then eventually it was brought to PC. Games rated bronze on Proton DB. There's a lot of tweaking and editing and a lot of nonsensical stuff you have to do to get to work on Linux. So I've been playing it on PS4. Loris Barrett entry. Actually, Nate, you can play this on Switch too. If you are into games that are about the grind and collecting and getting better equipment and that kind of stuff, this is definitely one of those kind of games, but it's done in a 3D Monster Hunter kind of way, and it's done in an anime style. It's rated teen. It's mostly just because of some of the ways some of the characters are dressed more than anything else. Mm, I see that. It's a typical anime tropey type storyline, but the combat is really fun, really fluid, really fast, and And if you just want something that there's a story there and there's character interaction, but it's just a fun game to go and play. This is something that I would definitely recommend. Is it worth the full price? Uh, That depends on what kind of games you like. So if you're a fan of Diablo 2 type looter games and Monster Hunter games, then this might be up your alley. If not, well, don't go in solely for the story because you'll be disappointed. A little bit spendy for a guy like me who doesn't game that much. That's actually probably all I've spent entirely on my Steam library for this game in fairness nate you can actually get it on the switch last i remember seeing it on the switch on sale it was like 10 bucks oh well that's a much better price than what i'm looking at yeah because i believe it's what 60 still if i remember correctly that's correct definitely a hit or miss game i wouldn't say it's worth 60 30 probably i think it depends on how much you enjoy it yeah that's the thing like i really enjoyed a game that was similar to it called code vein but there's just something different with this it might be because it's more of a monster hunter type game which i'm not the biggest fan of i I like the fact that there's a story element to this, but it's not as present as, say, the one in like Code Vein was. I mean, it looks neat. It's certainly not my genre. I do like the art style. But I'm not going to lie. I'm a sucker for the anime art style. Like, I mean, just look at half the game recommendations I make, and it's mostly that art style. Mm, pretty much. Yeah. It's one of those games that it's worth money to play. It's just you kind of got to determine where that sits. For me, I wouldn't say it's worth more than 30 bucks. Definitely a good game to get if you can get it on sale. One of the reviews said of for cons that it was repetitive. Did you find it to be repetitive in any way? Any game that's solely focused on combat is going to get repetitive. <laughs> that's like saying, I found the gameplay repetitive. That's redundant given that that's the gameplay. Because of the style of game, because it's not a story-based game. It's a game where you're going and battling out and collecting things and rearming yourself to battle again. It's like taking a game like Devil May Cry, which is very Bayonetta or any of those kind of like off-the-wall Ninja Gaiden-type games that are very combat-heavy. It's really hard not to find the gameplay loop not repetitive. Go in a room, go fight ninjas. Go in a room and fight demons. Go in a room and, you know, it's the same thing. (laughs) It's a matter of perspective. Any of those games, they tend to get repetitive. So it's not a game I can sit there and play for three or four hours at a time. It's more like, oh, OK, I played it for an hour. I'm good for a while. If a game really gets me invested story wise, it's OK. I can play this three, four, five hours sometimes and not even bat an eyelash at it. 
We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for more information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at DestinationLinux.network. For more information on where to find us... For more information on me, you can go to cubicalnate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. You can find my random ramblings on Twitter at Matt DLN and tell me how wrong my gaming choices are. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag along with stuff from shows across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. Let's get this shindig started. All right. Yeah. Nate, you're sure you're good? I think so. I mean. No, because usually you end up adding stuff, so I'm just making sure. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I, I'm at this point. Yep. Don't believe him. <laughs> I don't believe me either. So with me are obviously white. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, my God. <laughs> Nate, you totally threw me off on. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't help that. it. <laughs> Actually, I'm not wait. sorry. What's up? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's why I was like, wait, I got something to say, but I don't know. Totally lost track. Oh, I love it when I do that. So here's a true conversation that I've had with my husband, that there are some major similarities in both of the maps that are in my life. And one of those things is just saying what comes to mind and... Not being a people person. <laughs> I am totally a people person. I'm just very select on the people. <laughs> okay. Well, you're both the same in that aspect as well. <laughs> Do I take my husband grocery shopping? No. Well, Matt doesn't even take himself grocery shopping. He probably does the old uh, order <laughs> thing. So <laughs> Online pickup. Boom. I don't even do online pickup. They come to me. And, and why, did you, why did you delete Shield of Chat out of my list? <laughs> somebody i'm sorry that was me i was actually copying it i thought i just copied it but apparently i cut <laughs> uh, that's funny all right it just threw me off anyway um so it works fine i would consider your gaming choices questionable matt but not bad <laughs> no it's a joke on the uh from last week tell me how wrong i am exactly exactly